Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Missionary Micro Stories podcast, where missionaries come and tell us authentic stories that they love, and I know that you will too. It's six questions in about nine-ish minutes, because we all know that without a timeline, missionaries tend to get awfully long-winded. And so this morning, I am very excited to be joined by Brother Mac, our first represent. Well, I won't tell you where he's from. I'll let him do that. So, Brother Mac, thank you for joining us this morning, and I'm excited to have you here. It's good to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll kick it off with question one, and go ahead and please tell us a bit about you and your family and your field. Okay. Uh, again, my name is Bob Mack, and we are sent out of the Cleveland Baptist Church uh, with the help of Baptist International Missions uh, to the country of Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast in West Africa, where we work in planting new churches. And then through those churches, we open up ministries that we use to evangelize, uh, including literacy centers, medical clinics, sports centers, and schools. And as we get into the twilight of our ministry out there, I'm working especially in the area of Bible Institute and Seminary training nationals for the ministry. Wow, awesome. I, that is a really awesome, I wanna pick your brain afterwards and uh, sounds like we have, that's kind of the goal here. And so I'm excited to hear about things like that that are happening. Um, for you and your wife, this can be ministry specific or just in general, but what's one of the best parts about being in missions for you guys? You know, honestly, uh, if I, if I, if I wasn't a missionary, I don't know what I would do in full-time service for the Lord. Um, the, the adventure of it, uh, the ability to plan my day as I feel the Lord would have me plan it, the ability to uh, work in the ministry the way that I feel the Lord would have me work in the ministry uh, are things that I treasure. And uh, to me, being a missionary is really the best possibility in, in full-time ministry. So I very much enjoy it. I do it by choice. Amen. Yes, sir. Um, kind of not so much the inverse of that, but just a little bit different is, again, it can be field-specific or not, but what's one of the more difficult aspects for you when it comes to missions? Well, I, I think the biggest challenge in missions for me is to live and think and work as an Ivorian. Uh, the Ivorians are the national people of the Ivory Coast of West Africa. And it is not my responsibility to import an American ministry there. It's my responsibility to establish a biblical ministry that works well in the Ivorian context. And so... It's part of what I like about missions, but at the same time, it, it does become a big challenge and not so much a problem, but uh, still, if, if I am not adapting myself the way that I need to to that culture, then, you know, that becomes something that I have to correct. And so uh, I would just say that, you know, as an American, my biggest challenge is in creating a biblical Ivorian ministry in the Ivory Coast. Mm. Yes, sir. Um, kind of then a bonus question. So uh, just uh, how long do you feel that it took you to get to the place? And I know that we're always learning as missionaries, but how long do you feel that it took you to get to the place where you thought, okay, I'm, you know, maybe a quarter Ivorian now or something like that, you know, like that you felt like you were living in that context? Yeah, probably 10 years. Um, in our first term, we were in the city of Anyama. I worked with another missionary and uh, we kind of just hit, were very focused on that ministry right there. And um, 
when I moved to Bezierville about five years later in the year 2000, I really started branching out and having a lot more communication with the national pastors that had already been in established autonomous churches there. And they really were able to take me by the hand and teach me much and help me to start developing an understanding of the Ivorian mentality and how I needed to think in order to work successfully there. And so that was probably at least five years of time working with those pastors before I began to feel comfortable. And the fact of the matter is I'll never get there. What's really great from my perspective is my two sons, uh, who have both grown up there, feel the Lord calling them back to the Ivory Coast. And boy, they'll be able to accomplish so much more than I've ever been able to accomplish out there simply because they already have that understanding uh, in their mind and in their thinking. Uh, so I look forward to watching that happen. Yeah, praise the Lord. Awesome to hear. Encouraging for me because we've been here for three and a half years. So sometimes I think getting in, you know, getting in there and, and it's encouraging to hear that it has taken a while for others as well. So, um, and you can take this block of time that I'm taking for bonus questions and not count it towards the nine minutes. I <laughs> so, um, but my other question then too is, would you say that there's one, and I know that's a hard one, but is there one major difference between maybe Ivorian thinking and American thinking, or is it just a big conglomeration of differences? Well, there are many major differences. Understand that in the United States, we are rugged individualists. So it is for each person to take care of himself. And, uh, you know, in the United States, um, you're not accepted into the group until you have established yourself as an individual. Okay, that's U.S. thinking, you know, uh, personal space. I only allow certain people to be so close to me, even physically. All right, that's American thinking. I live and work in a communal society, and it's it's in many ways 180 degrees opposed to what I am as an American. Not that one's one's good and the other's bad, but simply different. And so it, it can create a great deal of challenges. I guess one big example would be in the area of borrowing. You know, in the States, if I borrow something from somebody, I view that as a circumstance that should be mutually beneficial. So when I bring that borrowed item back, I'm going to have it all cleaned up. I'm going to have it nice. If it has a gas tank, there's going to be gas in it, you know, so on and so forth. And in our culture, that's what you do. In the Ivory Coast, if you do that, you've indicated to the person from whom you borrowed something that you view your relationship with them as being extremely weak. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, from a U.S. perspective, it's like, oh, my goodness, that's, you know. And so, like, if I use something from somebody – if I borrow something from somebody in the Ivory Coast, I don't want to clean that thing up before I take it back. I don't want to make it look great or add gas to the gas tank because in their culture, it's like I'm saying to him, man, I was scared to death that I'd lose my relationship with you over this thing that I borrowed from you. And so I, I you know, I'm, I'm showing you that by making sure that it's all spruced up and ready to give back. And so it's something that we have to work with. Now, I do think the Bible does give us principles on how to take care of other people's stuff. So you know, with time, we do begin to work with that in the context of that culture. But, you know, it, it that's one example of where the thinking is diametrically different. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for that answer. I uh, I think sometimes it's easy to forget how how different different cultures are. And so I appreciate it. Yeah, it's something we're still learning here as well. So um, awesome. Thank you. I know that was a big rabbit trail, but thanks so much for sharing all that with us. So, no problem.
Um, so then with question four, do you have any missionaries that you would say need to be on the podcast to share their story? Uh, I recently met uh, a missionary in Quebec. Um, as a matter of fact, he's from Quebec, but I believe he is on missionary status, I think with BIMI. And I've just recruited him to come out and teach classes in my institute in the Ivory Coast. They're one-week module classes. I think a great deal of them, a very sharp guy. Uh, his name is Eric Leveille, and he is currently pastoring, uh, I believe it's the Central Baptist Church of Laval in the Montreal area of Quebec. And so if I were to recommend somebody, that's who I'd, I'd recommend. Sure. Yes, sir. I look forward to contacting him and Lord willing having him on. So thanks for the recommendation. Mm -hmm. All right. So now number five is kind of the big one everybody's waiting for. Please go ahead and take three to five minutes and just tell us a story that you love about your time serving the Lord. In 2008, there was a man in our Bangerville church, uh, one of our members who came to see me, and he stated that his father had passed away in 2002 in the village up in the far north of our country, and they had buried him immediately, but they had never held his funeral services because of the, the conflict, the, the political conflict that we had in the Ivory Coast. And so as we get to uh, January of 2008, uh, his village was asking him to come up so that they could help plan that funeral. In the village context, that's going to last about five days. So we typed out a letter from our church uh, expressing our condolences for the death and expressing our hope that the Lord would help them as they made their plans and sent a, a financial contribution with our member. And he went on up to meet with the village leaders and plan that funeral. When he got back about three weeks later, he says, Pastor, I've been able to arrange for two hours of prayer and preaching at my dad's funeral. And I, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me, because, I mean, this is an animist village. This, there is no Christianity in this village outside of our church member. And I said, man, how did you manage to do that? And he said, well, it wasn't easy. He said, I told him that I knew my dad had never converted to Christ, but that I had, and that my father had blessed that decision. And so as his oldest son, I wanted two hours of prayer and preaching. I said, well, did they give it to you? He said, no, not then they didn't. And I said, well, then what did you say? He said, well, pastor, I promised them that if they'd have two hours of prayer and preaching, I would see to it that there'd be a very special preacher there to do the preaching. <laughs> and I knew he was referring to me. But what you've got to understand, I, honestly, in a normal circumstance, I would jump, jump at such an opportunity. But at that point in time, our country was divided in half, and the government controlled the southern half of the Ivory Coast, and the rebel army controlled the northern half of the Ivory Coast. And this wasn't just going to be a matter of going into the rebel territory. His village is on the border with Burkina Faso. We'd have to go all the way through the rebel territory just to get to his village. And at first I told him, I said, sir, I, I don't think I can do this. Um, it's not going to be wise. The U.S. Embassy certainly is never going to sanction it. And, you know, I've got a lot of people praying for me. I'm not presuming on those prayers. I, I need to act intelligently in what I'm doing here. And, and, and gallivanting through the rebel territory is not, not my idea of wisdom and prudence. And, you know, he's such he's about 10 years old than I am. At the time, he probably would have been around 55. And, and he said, you know, um, Pastor, there, there are a lot of Westerners that are back up there now, and, you know, they don't seem to be having any difficulty. And in all honesty, I, I really think this is the best opportunity for my village. And I was just like, oh, great. Thanks for tightening the screws, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, I told myself, I'll pray about this for a week. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, 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 I've already answered this one. I'm just going to show some respect here to my older church member. 
Uh, but God really did make it clear to me in that week that I had to go up there. And so in March of 2008, we did. Um, we went up there and got through the rebel territory. Uh, it required a fair amount of uh, savvy and cultural understanding on our part, but we got through the, the, the rebel territory up to that village. Uh, we got in on a Wednesday. They greeted us so well in that village, and the funeral was starting that Thursday night, and it's starting with our two um, hours of prayer and preaching. And so we managed, <laughs> we went to a nearby town called Wangaladuga, and we managed to find a sound system for rent. And so we hauled that up there with a generator and some lights. We managed to scrounge up about 300 chairs there in the village, and we set everything up at 7 o'clock that night. Away we went. And the chief was right there in the first row with all the nobility of this village right there. And if these are 300 people seated in front of us, there's an additional 500 people that are standing all around us. So we preached the gospel for two hours. I was there with a very close pastor friend that I have and, and a couple of others. And at the end of that two hours, I come back to the microphone and, you know, believe me, there's no just as I am. There is no ambience environment at all. I just, I told the people that were seated to stand up and I looked at them eyeball to eyeball and I said, you've heard for the last two hours that the only way you can be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ or to, to God the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be reconciled today to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, come on forward. And there were nine people that came. And I really was surprised because I felt like this is, this is such a first for this village. You know, we need to make sure these folks understand. So I called our church member over and I told him, I said, you need to make sure that these folks understand what we're talking about. Take them off. And he did. He got back to me very late that night around midnight. He said, Pastor, we've got to do this again tomorrow night. I said, well, we're scheduled to be here tomorrow night. We're not leaving until the following morning. So uh, the next night, there we are again. Same 800 people, same everything. We preached for two hours. 51 people came. And again, I'm excited about that, but I'm wanting to be so careful about that. You know, Are these folks coming because they genuinely want to accept Christ, or are they coming because they want me to dig a well in their village, or they want this or anything else? Why are they here? So I send them off with Mr. Kulibali again, and he goes to work with them. And we're wrapping up with the, the, the leadership of the village and with the, the crowd that's there. And I expressed to the spokesman, because you never address the chief directly in, a, in an official ceremony, I expressed to the spokesman, I said, we are so thankful for the welcome that we've received in this village and for the opportunity to preach at this funeral. And we thank you for all that you've done for us. And we'd like to have permission to leave tomorrow morning, if that's okay. Well, the spokesman then says that to the chief in the chairman language, in spite of the fact that the chief understood everything that I said in French. And then the, the, the chief gives his answer in chairman to the spokesman, who then eventually returns and gives me that answer in French. And what he said was, yes, pastor, the chief says that you can leave tomorrow morning. That's not a problem. But the chief thinks that you should know that you now have 60 converts in this village and we don't have any churches in this village. Therefore, we have nobody in this village that is qualified to yeah. take care of these 60 converts. Wow. So this chief is asking you to send a missionary wow. that can take care of and pastor these 60 people. And this chief says that this village is going to give you a piece of land He's asking you to put a church building on it as a spiritual home for these converts that you now have in this village. I was so stunned. I went over to my pastor friend who had come with me and I said, man, did I hear this right? 
I mean, am, am I correctly understanding what the chief is saying? He goes, oh, yeah, you are. And so we ended up leaving the next morning, but I got back to our church there in Bangerville, and I told them all that had happened. And for the next nine months, we sent up delegations from the Bangerville church to meet with those who had accepted Christ and to go with them to evangelize other people in that village. And then in January 2009, we opened the Baptist church there in Santa Pledugu, and it's, it's going to this day. They did give us a very nice piece of land. We do have a church building up on that. And the Lord is continuing to bless there. But by far, that's one of my favorite stories because up until that point, I felt like I'd been in Bangerville too long. And it's like, Lord, I should be wrapping this work up. I should be getting on to another work. We should be planting more churches. And, you know, here I'm thinking I'm going up there to preach and then to hightail it out of there and get out of that rebel territory. And before we're even out of there, in essence, there's a church that's planted and the village is all for it. And so the Lord is just telling me, he says, listen, Bob, you don't got to worry about it. When I want to start a church, we'll start it. Okay. It doesn't have to be a problem for you. And so that's, that's by far one of my favorite stories from working there on the Ivory Coast. I can completely see why. And I, that's a really encouraging story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know Everybody listening, I can't, I can't imagine anybody not enjoying that story, but I think it's amazing to see how um, how God just can do things in his own His own timing. And I'm, it's hard to say that we're, I'm surprised to see that, you know, because you kind of, you know that God can do big things, but sometimes it just, God has that wow factor. It's like, wow, I can't believe that it happened that way. That's so amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. No problem. As we wrap up with question six, then this one's kind of a tattletale on yourself, if you're willing to. Um, do you have any language or cultural blunders that you're willing to share with the entire internet world? <laughs> well, in 2003, uh, because of the instability in the Ivory Coast, we were actually living in Ghana. And uh, so every Friday, I would drive into the Ivory Coast, cross the border in the Ivory Coast, drive all the way to Bangerville. And then Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, work with our church there in Bangerville. And then Monday morning, I would drive back to Ghana, back across the border, and be with my family for the rest of the week. And um, so the missionaries that were there in Ghana had asked me to preach from time to time on Wednesday nights, and they had asked me to teach in their Bible school. And the problem that was there was half the time I'm ministering in French and half the time I'm ministering in English. And I'd only been in the Ivory Coast for about eight years at that point in time and was still really working hard to just to, to settle in with the French. And so it was easy for me to get confused whenever I was preaching. And there was one time I'm there in Ghana and I was preaching on the home and I'm trying to get this point to the men, you know, don't take your wives for granted. Well, it's challenging to, to, you know, to, to come up with the right expression. Fortunately, since I was preaching in English, I was able to there. But, but, but I, was, I was wanting to make the point that the husband should not neglect their wives. And I could not think of the word neglect. And, you know, so I'm dancing all around it as I'm preaching. And I'm trying to think, what is that word in English? And I looked at my wife on the front row and I said, honey, I'm sorry, I'm having a problem here. Can you tell me what the English word for negligee is? <laughs> Because that is the French infinitive to neglect. And I could remember it in French, but I couldn't remember it in English. But just as soon as that word came out of my mouth in English, I realized, 
what that meant in English. And so <laughs> I sort of had to explain to everybody why it was that I had said that. But anyway, <laughs> there's a blunder. Yeah. Uh, great story. I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. So thank you so much. Mm. Brother Mac, as I was telling you beforehand, um, I always appreciate having senior, if I can put it on there, senior missionaries, missionaries that have been on the field 15, 20, 25 years. So thank you for taking the time to be on here. My pleasure. Um, if people want to continue to follow your story, mm -hmm. what's the best way that they can do so? Uh, my wife and I do have a Facebook page uh, together, uh, Bob-Becky Mack, M-A-C-H. Um, and, you know, we can friend you, especially if we know that it's via this podcast. We'd be happy to do that. Um, uh, my email address is rcmacrci at gmail.com. Uh, you know, we're out of the Cleveland Baptist Church, so we're on that website. We're with BIMI, so we're on that website. And so, you know, these are these are ways that, that people can keep up with us. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll have that in the description link below so that people can keep up to date with you guys and all that you're doing. And uh, all right. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it, Brother Mac. My pleasure. Thank you. For all of you that have joined us and have listened today, this has been Josh Wagar with Brother Mac in the Ivory Coast, and you have been listening to the Missionary Micro Stories podcast. Thanks for joining.